0: Hey, this story, actually, the story of the alien abduction of Travis Walton, the event that gave rise to the movie Fire in the Sky, is going to be a two parter. It went a lot longer than we thought, but there's a ton here. So here's part one where Travis Walton is apparently part of some alien catch and release program, and we'll bring the exciting inclusion to you next week. Enjoy.
1: Hi, real quick. This is Carrie. Just wanted to let everybody know that Dean is an author. He's written quite a few books and screenplays, but we finally decided to publish something on Amazon. It's called Saving Monsters. It's appropriate for kids and young adults and old adults like me. I read lots of books meant for a younger audience. Anyhow, it's called Saving Monsters, again, on Amazon, and it's available for 2 dollars If you're in the mood, go ahead and give it a read. Thanks. Okay, welcome to the Weird World Podcast. My name's Gary. I'm Emma.
0: I'm Dean. And I'm Amy.
1: <laughs> and today, Dean is going to lead us into <laughs> the story of something weird. It is Ooh.
0: pretty weird. I think you will find it strange. It's actually a f- somewhat well-known story. I'll be doing this, by the way, while Erin knits a bra.
2: I'm crocheting Crocheting. It's my bad. Mm-hmm. She's crocheting
0: like a halter top thing. It oh, okay. mm-hmm.
2: barely covered the yitties. I call it The Yetties. <laughs> <laughs> Yetties.
0: <laughs> Snowflake, Arizona. Ooh. Well, that doesn't and,
1: sound like a properly named place. You York's a moron. Does it snow there?
0: 170 miles from Phoenix. It is over a mile high. Oh. So, yes, it does. It gets four seasons, including snow in the winter.
1: Well, don't I feel dumb. <laughs> you, do,
0: you, do. you fucking should. God <laughs> damn it. But that's not why it was named Snowflake. That name came from the two Mormon colonizers who founded the town in 1878. Their names were Erastus Snow and William mm-hmm. Flake. Oh, was say, was it really? liberal? Obviously, they should have called it Flake Snow, but Ooh, too late yeah. now. That's that's that clear. Is funny. Now, whether you're asking asking if ex Senator Jeff Flake is one of that family, I have no idea. But I wouldn't be surprised.
1: I would,
2: yeah, me neither. Mm-hmm. Is he from Arizona? Yes. Ooh.
1: That would be the best hyphenated name ever. Yeah. Well,
0: it's not actually hyphenated.
1: I but. know, but if they got married oh, gotcha. and yeah, then they, they hyphenated their names,
0: so if Erastus and William were gay Mormons. Mm-hmm. in yeah. 1878, and they got married. <laughs> that's what family. I like right. to see. Well, Mormons.
1: they have descendants. <laughs> Who
2: could be gay mormons? Oh, uh,
0: they're out I'm there. I'm sure they, just they keep exist. keep it on the down low. Mm. Anyway, what really put Snowflake on the map happened on November 5th, 1975. Hmm. That was when Travis Walton was abducted by a UFO <gasps> in what know. remains to this day possibly the most famous abduction case in the United States. Is, it's up there. It's up there. Did he come back? We'll find out, won't we? Uh Travis Walton was 22 years old, and he was working as a forest clearer in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest, south of Snowflake. He worked for a guy named Mike Rogers, who had a little crew, I guess, that did kind of sub-work for the National Forest Service. And one of the things they were doing, they, they cleared brush and stuff like that. Travis Walton was dating Mike Rogers' sister, Dana. Right now, the whole crew, Mike Rogers' crew, was currently clearing the, some thick brush near a place called Turkey Springs, mm. up in the Sitgreaves Apache or Apache Sitgreaves National Forest. Were
1: they um, using a giant rake in order to prevent forest fires?
0: Oh, I bet they were. Like
1: Donald Trump says, you need to do.
0: I'm sure they were. That's the right thing to do. If Donald Trump <laughs> says it, that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Travis was part of a crew that included. Ken Peterson, John Goulet, Steve Pierce, Alan Dallas, and Dwayne Smith. We'll the Rock met. Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> train the Rock. Train No. All of them lived in Snowflake. So this was a big job. It covered about 1,200 acres in rugged mountain forest. And Mike Rogers and the crew were behind schedule. Uh-oh. Way behind schedule. Uh-oh. So lately, they had been working from sunup to sunset all day long.
1: Well, it sounds like the schedule was a little bit too aggressive.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they they needed to get it done but if they were working there would be so long, such long hours yeah they are working long hours
1: it's yeah. not they, were they lazing about were they
0: <laughs> maybe uh, was I it don't know three <laughs> hour days <laughs> what? before that I was like? just say they, uh, they probably overbid and underperformed or whatever the hell yeah anyway sunset at the time came about 6pm on that November 5th so Walton and the rest of the c- crew called it a day and they got to Mike Rogers' truck to head back to Snowflake. Minutes into the dusty drive out of the mountains, the crew saw something in the sky. Uh oh. There was a light in the distance, kind of behind a hill, up in the air, it looked like.
1: I've seen that in Arizona. Have you? Yeah.
0: Y- in, you yourself have seen that in Arizona. Was it a plane?
1: No, it was uh, lightning.
0: You've seen oh. lightning in Arizona, yeah, okay. behind
1: hills, and we thought it was
0: really, yeah, interesting.
2: That was the UFO,
0: yeah. That is really that is
1: when we were kids, moment. and nice. we tried to, you know, because it wasn't Some raining stuff. or anything, and there, uh, you know, there weren't clouds in the sky, and so we saw these flashing lights, and we thought it was UFOs, and so, you know, we were kids, so we tried to. You know, go to where it was. Of course, it was probably miles and (laughs) miles away. away. Let's let's
0: walk out into the desert and not tell our parents.
1: That's basically what we did. Smart kids. Lucky to be
0: alive. (gasps) She's a ghost. Here's a ghost. (laughs) How did she get (laughs) pregnant? Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) There, there was this light in the distance behind the hill. And when they turned the corner and they came in sight of the light, they stopped stunned. Oh. Above a little clearing there just off the highway. Hovering in the darkening sky was a silvery disc about eight feet high and about 20 feet in diameter. Some accounts say 40 feet in diameter, but that's why God invented hyperbole. Mm. (laughs) Walton would later say, quote, it was a metallic glowing disc making some very strange sounds. Inexplicably, Travis Walton leapt from the back of the truck and raced toward the silver disc. Ignoring his friends, he was shouting, back here, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? Dummy, dummy. He went dummy. right up to the UFO. So he slows down and stops just below the UFO. He's looking up at it, staring into the, the night sky, when suddenly the UFO starts to like whirr, you know, make a loud sound like a machine or a turbine or something like that. It also starts to shake and shimmy, and kind of wobble, Ooh. right? This is when, finally, Travis Walton says, I maybe should not be doing this, and he starts to head back for the truck. Walton, quote, the closer I got to it, the more scared we all got, and they were swearing at me to get away from there. And when I got up close, it suddenly got louder and started to move. So he's stumbling back, and then suddenly, as he's stumbling back, as he sort of just turned to go back to the truck, this kind of a blue-green flash of light, kind of a beam, zaps from the UFO, and strikes Walton in, in the chest. He, the light seems to sort of pull him, maybe a little bit into the air, or at least his arms seem to hang, and he seems to kind of just hang there, like I guess like a scarecrow. Uh, apparently, allegedly, just above the ground, his arms and legs kind of dangling. When suddenly he's just, there's a huge pulse of energy, and he's shot back, slammed into the ground, ten, possibly even twenty. Feet, again hyperbole a wave like, like away from away the, from the ship. ufo yeah okay. toward the truck but he's still not anywhere near back to the truck walton again a quote i jumped for cover and then jumped up to run back to the truck and that's when this blast of energy hit me i felt just like this numbing shock go through my body but the crew said it threw me through the air 10 or 20 feet and i landed in a way that they were immediately certain it had killed me and they fled. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> God. Oh, he's at
2: this go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, you heard that right. Right, as their friend Travis Walton lay, apparently at least unconscious, Rogers, Mike Rogers gunned the engine, and he and the rest of the crew wow. drove the hell out of there. Wow. Just leaving not his body around. there. I yep. mean, geez, at least retrieve the, the body. Some quality
2: friends.
0: <laughs> Friendship. So, 7.30 that night... Rogers and the crew got to Heber. It's a town that's actually in the Apache sitgreaves National Forest. It's about 30 miles still from Snowflake. So it's like they were driving on the direction towards Snowflake. First big town, decent town they get to is Heber with actually, you know, sheriffs and, and, and the law enforcement. So they found a pay phone in a retail center and they called the police. They told Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison only that one of the men in the crew was missing, Ellison says, oh, you know what, stay put, I'll come to you. So Ellison gets there, and at the retail center and the crew, some of them at least start to immediately break down. Some of them even in tears, telling him the story of what happened. There was this UFO, it zapped him, we thought he was dead, we got that. you know, Mike gunned the engine and got us out of there. Okay? Ellison would say, quote, if they were acting, they were awfully good at it. Hmm. They seemed genuinely... straw. Wow. That what happened. Yeah. Okay. Now, Sheriff Marlon Gillespie and he and his top investigator, a guy named Ken Coplin, they arrived there. I guess um, the deputy sheriff called his boss. So Gillespie, Sheriff Gillespie and Officer Coplin arrived at the retail center to hear the story firsthand. What?
1: You said Gillespie the first time. Is it Gillespie? I well, I was gonna yes, say it's, it's, if it's a G, it's Gillespie. Okay, but again, Gillespie
2: right? had a teacher named Mr. Okay. Gillespie. It's a G, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. So Sheriff Gillespie and Ken Coplin get to the retail center after the deputy chef, after Ellison calls them because they want to hear the story firsthand. Now Mike Rogers is apparently not quite so sure that his friend and worker Travis Walton is dead, so he starts bugging them. We got to go back there. Let's go uh, see if we can find him. Let's go get some tracking dogs, and we'll look for him.
1: Well, why wouldn't they think he's right where they left him?
0: Uh, that's a great question. Also, if they knew exactly where they left him, and the, and if he wasn't there, he likely was in a spaceship. I'm not sure that non-flying tracking <laughs> yeah. dogs would yeah. be of a lot of help. Bloodhounds,
2: yeah. they can't go
0: that high. No, they just like bay in the sky. That, mm-hmm. they, there it is. They've lost his track. <laughs> he's up there by that star. So... Not clear, but, you know, Mike was distraught. Let's give him that much. How's that? Well, Come on, Gary. Be kind. (laughs) Rewind. Regardless, didn't matter. There were no tracking dogs to go track Travis, but the police and some of Rogers' crew headed back into the mountain to go look for him. Three members of the brush crew, though, decided we're going to go back to Snowflake and tell his family what happened. Nice. That is nice, I Mm -hmm. think. And they're also, they're a little bit too scared to go back there. Yeah. I don't think so. I'm going to go tell the family. It's really important I do that. This
1: is 1975. Telephones exist.
0: Yes, they do. Mm, they were yes, invented. They we got to tell them for, in face-to-face. I guess it's too so. much. It's too bad news. So Rogers took investigator Copeland and some deputies to the scene of the, I don't know, crime? <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: Event. You
0: know, I mean, that wasn't cool. They did zap him and at least <laughs> knock him out. There was nothing there, as you might expect. Walton had vanished, as had the spaceship. Still, but volunteers started streaming in now. So I guess the word goes out, we've got a missing crew member out here. Volunteers stream into the area to look for this missing man. They searched through the night in plunging tempers. Remember, this is the mountain, and it's in November. So it got really, really cold. In fact, they were really worried that his work, that what he was wearing was like a, just jeans and like a denim jacket, and, and he might not survive the night if he maybe came to and got disoriented and wandered into the forest yeah. or something
1: like that. Was there uh, evidence of anything being there?
0: None whatsoever. Okay. Was there evidence of like a
2: scuffle? Because they said he was like thrown around and shit.
0: None whatsoever. Hmm. We'll we'll get into that later. <laughs> okay. later. By the next morning, the police and the volunteers had exhaustively searched the area, then they found no trace of Walton, no trace of UFO. Later, and, and later that, that first full day in daylight, they had helicopters out there, and they had people on horseback searching through the um, rugged terrain. They had off-road vehicles out there, expanding the search.
2: Uh-oh. Still no Travis.: It's not a good sign.
0: No, no. I mean, some terrible things can happen to you on spaceships. Believe yeah, me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I heard stories. We don't even want to talk about them. Within a few days, though, the story had become a sensation. It was a huge story. It had intern, it had not just national but international press.
1: Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Do you remember hearing about it at the time?
0: Uh, I was pretty young. I don't think so. No, I'm sure I didn't. Yeah. Did you,
2: Mom? Nope. <laughs>
0: she was a little girl. <laughs> You, I remember hearing about it. You do you? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so remember, I was
2: yet. old enough to remember it then.
0: So. UFO researchers, and again, the National and International Reporters, flocked to the little snowflake. <laughs> Despite this interest, though, <laughs> and with still no sign of Travis, after a few days, Travis's mother asked that the search be called off. What? I, I, we'll talk about that later as well.
2: That's weird. But that's
0: apparently what happened. But then, after five days, agonizing days Travis his brother-in-law a guy named Grant Neff he gets a, fo- a phone call at midnight it's November oh, either I guess 10th right or maybe it's the very 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 early morning of November 11th either way it's been about five days on the other line on the other line of the phone on the other yes. <laughs> end of the phone on the other end of the phone was Traffic. Travis Walton <gasps> he was calling his brother-in-law from a payphone outside of a gas station on the highway near Heber, Arizona, back where they had called oh. the police, very close hmm. to where he was abducted. Hmm. So he just says, hey, Grant, would you do me a solid and come pick me up? It's about 30 miles away. Grant says, sure will. And Travis Walton was back to Earth in Snowflake, Arizona that very early morning.
2: Hmm. This is peculiar. I have a few questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) First, let's hear Travis's side of the story. Right. Okay. Okay. So what happened to Travis during this five days? According to Travis, everything went black right when that bolt from the UFO struck him and knocked him to the ground, right? He eventually came to, and he felt like he was in kind of a reclined bed. Mm. And there's a bright light shining down on him <laughs> from above. What?
1: A reclined bed as opposed to all those upright beds. Oh, well, you know. I'm standing saying, up beds.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It <laughs> like describes- a hospital bed. Yes, a hospital bed. See, That's she gets long. it. Okay, <laughs> Carrie. And there's a, it's a bright light above him. He, his body was racked with pain. He a lot of pain and even had trouble breathing. This is presumably from the, the zap that got him. So naturally, he at first he thought, I, I must be in a hospital. Yeah. But then he kind of looked around him. And he saw three, let's call them creatures, wearing orange jumpsuits. Mm. So now he probably thought he was in a prison hospital, Yeah, I assume. And the orderlies, I don't know, were taking care of him. But wait, 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 wait. These creatures in the orange jumpsuits were, uh, they weren't quite right. They were not white either, they were gray. In fact, the beings that Walton described were more or less the, kind of the classic gray alien types, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of long face, yeah. the, bald, mm-hmm. the bald the bald head. Big old head, Roger yeah. from Roger American from Dad. Roger from American Dad, absolutely, yeah. Okay. And, and he described them as, quote, shorter than five feet, and oh. they had bald heads, no hair. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> thanks, thanks for the extra, extra detail there. Their heads were domed, very large. They looked like fetuses. They had large eyes, enormous oh eyes, God. almost all brown without much white in them. More about those eyes from Travis. Quote, they had luminous brown eyes the size of quarters. Does anybody have a quarter?
2: Quarters are not that big. Let's
0: all measure our eyes with quarters. Everybody <laughs> at home, measure your eyes with quarters. Okay. Just we'll get back to this in one second. Quote from from uh, Travis Walton: The creepiest thing about them were those eyes. Oh my they God! They just stared through me. <laughs> their, okay. ear, their ears, noses, and mouths. Quote seems real small, but maybe just because their eyes were so. <laughs> oh my Jesus! <laughs> the eyes were a size of quarters. He cannot stop talking about how big those eyes are. That's that's a normal sized eye. I'm pretty sure, yeah, isn't
2: uh, it? A quarter, I'm, not
0: I'm a- much bigger. I mean, I have I, mean, I have large I'm eyes. What so part
2: is he trying to say is the size of a quarter? The eyes. Is eye or, eye, or is he trying to say like the iris? Is I, he trying to say I, like a part no, of the, the eye? He's just the eye. Maybe he's stupid. Like he's trying this? to say like a, the pupil is yeah. the size of a quarter. I don't yeah. think so. They had
0: luminous brown eyes the size of quarters, and then he goes he's off on how freaking gigantic these eyes were. I don't know. Okay. They don't seem that big to me. I'm <laughs> unimpressed, Travis, <laughs> with your eye fixation. I think. He's just Did he
1: ever it. draw a sketch? I don't.
0: I never saw one. I haven't seen huh. one. Walton sprang up from the bed, terrified, and he grabbed, just kind of trying to grab something like a weapon. Mm -hmm. The only thing close by was a glass beaker.
1: Oh, So he
0: tries to like smash against the table it was on to use, you know, like a a sharp object, and it's unbreakable. Oh. So so there he is, the free, but he went into kind of like a ninja pose with the beaker as a weapon, the unbroken beaker. (laughs) The free creature is faced off with this crazy human waving the unbreakable breakable glass beaker like a switchblade and apparently Travis was just too much for them quote when I was first able to focus my eyes good enough I was still on the table and as soon as I saw this face and knew it wasn't human I tried to hit it away from me they were much smaller than me and I think that's the reason they gave up <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> once they found out they couldn't control me they split okay <laughs> Partly I love that word split, split. we gotta bring split. that back it's, it's like dip Yes, it but is it's like from dip. the 70s, okay. it's a pop his popsicle
2: stand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> And but still, despite the fact that he chased them away with a beaker that he was quote, absolutely terrified. Mm. Apparently, security on this ship was pretty lax as a whole because despite having this awake human abductee armed with a beaker inside their craft, their orange jumpsuit creatures were nowhere to be seen when he walked out the door of this exam room. So mm-hmm. they are Gone. He has the run of the the ship. He's got a beaker, you guys. Yeah, They were terrified. He's big, too. He's badass. I think he's not that big, actually. He's a very normal-sized guy, but he's got the shit out of these aliens. (laughs) Or, either security was lax, or they're afraid of this badass Travis Walton, because, remember, they could not control him. I'm sorry. So... It seems that creatures who could master interstellar travel could not conceive of some technology to control a far larger creature Mm -hmm. that they are going to bring onto their spaceship after they capture him. It's kind of like a naturalist who's like going to capture a tiger. You know, he tranks the big cat and then he like puts it in the back of the jeep and just drives back to camp. <laughs> oh shit, it's waking fuck. up. I better get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I didn't think I had it. It's, I think this is uh, this is M Night Shyamalan's inspiration for Signs. Mm. Yeah. Mm. If you can yeah. get away from that, I can get away from aliens afraid of uh, water. Killing water. Water. water yeah. And yeah. Not wearing any protection, it works. So Travers wandered around the deserted corridor when he uh, left the exam room and he found himself eventually in a room shaped like a sphere. It's a huge spherical room, right? The only thing in the room was a high backed chair that was turned away from him. Doesn't this sound like back to me up on this? It sounds like Dr. X's cerebro room, doesn't it?
2: It does, yeah.
0: I don't know if that was. I mean that's from the X Men. Mm. It's from the movies, but oh. I'm sure that's from the. I don't. I don't know this for a fact. I know but what you're saying. The, the, the comics go back the to the early seventies. I have no idea. It could just be a coincidence. So Walton creeps toward the chair. Remember, the back is to him, right? Comes around it, peers at the chair, and huh, it's empty. <laughs> I was gonna oh. say no in it. So naturally, what does he do? Sits, Sits in it. it. Damn right, he does. <laughs>
2: It sounds like fucking Goldilocks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck, next he's gonna eat something.
0: <laughs> so he sits in the chair, and as soon as he sits in it, these lights shoot up all around him. And he's described them as like stars on the, the planetarium ceiling. Like, you know, like a, yeah. it's the Hollywood mm-hmm. Star show, like that one in Griffith Park in LA. The, have you, did you ever go to the planetarium? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very cool. I you, went to the planetarium. You should be in high. San Francisco. Did they have a, a stars think I was high on anymore, the ceiling?
2: Uh, they they do like this this show and like this nerd talks to you and like yeah oh it's much nerd with talks Pink to you music and oh no again, not that cool
0: pretty baked like and who he would talk
2: to you Tom Hanks talked to Tom us Hanks well. he's the narration
0: uh, you can't be high with Tom Hanks talking to you yeah. you would why not wash your buzz uh, so Woody yeah this was no ordinary chair though it had a lever with a handle on the <sighs> left arm right. And then on the right arm of the chair was this five-inch square kind of lime green illuminated screen.
1: Ooh, is this the cockpit? Is he going to fly the spaceship?
0: Pro- apparently he <laughs> is. <laughs> so, and on this screen are these weird black lines kind of crisscrossing over it, right? Again, naturally, what does he do? Touches all the buttons. He pushes the fucking sure. lever. <laughs> you have a classy oh, driver's
2: license. You, can, you are not qualified. <laughs>
0: uh, nope. Travis pushes the lever. Instantly, the stars in the ceiling start to rotate around him. Ooh. I think he's navigating through the the, the universe. Yeah, apparently. Right there anyway, yeah, yeah, exactly. The cosmos. That's how they they. It's like you know you've seen this in science fiction movies where the ship seems to stay there, but it, it navigates yeah. through time and space. Blah 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 blah. So, but then he stopped pressing the lever. The stars stopped moving. So, it, it does sound like to me like he was more or less yeah. hey, let's go for a spin because again these. Orange jumpsuit aliens were so shitless, they let him wander around and and fly the spaceship. So this is when he figured, maybe I should stop (laughs) fucking around with the mechanism. And he got up. And as soon as he got up out of the chair, the stars disappeared. So I guess one of those things where, in the chair, you're in control. You're the master Hmm. of time and space. That
1: actually sounds pretty cool.
0: It is very cool. Now, this is actually pretty cool. Uh, His story is not an uncool story. Yeah. Yeah. There was a noise behind him as he sat in the chair. So he whirls around, and he sees... What do you think he sees?
2: A little thing that's been hiding the whole time. (laughs) It just, like, drops something.
0: Where the fuck did you just take us? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it was a human. Oh, A person. Yes, he wore blue coveralls and sported a glass-like helmet, but it was more or less a person. And sure, the man's eyes, again, were kind of too big, and his skin had a golden hue, and again, there was the fishbowl on his head, but otherwise... He was more or less a person.
1: Maybe it was a hybrid.
0: <gasps> no, he didn't. Really, except for the slightly large eyes, it didn't sound like a like skin. a gray. He otherwise he looks like a human. His his mm. you know arms and legs and head are shaped completely human. Yeah, except for the gold skin and the fishbowl in his head. So. Right. Regardless, it's better than those terrifying orange jumpsuit guys that flee at the sight of a lethal beaker. Mm-hmm. So he's happy to see this guy. So he starts talking to him, asking him all kinds of questions. Right? The guy just ignores him with a, like a dumb grin on his face, like uh huh, uh huh, okay. Like you're, you know, didn't so, understand him. Someone's talking to you in a foreign language yeah. really fast. And, um, yeah, something like that. Huh. Finally, he just kind of like keeps smiling and kind of motions for Travis. You know, to follow me, come with me. So he does. They went down a ramp. And they find themselves inside this massive room the size of an aircraft hangar. So gigantic. This And at this time, Walton says he noticed, or at least it seemed like they were just exiting. I guess he looks back, and it seems like they're exiting a circular, you know, a a flying saucer, a disc-shaped spaceship like the one that had attacked him or zapped him. Although this one seemed like it was about twice as big. It was much larger Mm -hmm. than the other one. And now they're in a hangar, so where he sees a bunch of other disc ships in there, too. So it's, I guess if I'm reading that right, it means a small ship zaps him and abducts him. It hands him off to a slightly larger ship, which then goes, I guess, to the mother ship Ooh. to, I don't know, let him run around yeah. and, and drive, drive through the cosmos. That's what it sounds like, anyway, if, if, if you want to follow his uh, story. and Like I said, there was other disc-shaped ships in the hangar, but Glass-Helmage just says, come on, we're going, keep going and takes them to the hangar, and they keep walking. And eventually, they get to another room, and inside there are three more people who look al- just like, or human also, but human in the way that fishbowl helmet mm-hmm. is. Gold skin, I guess blue coveralls. These folks did not have glass helmets on, though. Mm. So Walton thinks, hey, maybe glass helmet was only smiling at me because he couldn't hear me because of his helmet,
2: <laughs> Oh,
0: <laughs> super logical. <laughs> So, because, uh, you know, people wear uh, space helmets that make them deaf mm-hmm. to their surroundings. That's common. So, he starts talking to these people like they can hear him and they do the same thing. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, just grinning at him, smiling, clearly not comprehending anything they say. Yeah. So, they, they kind of, one's a woman, by the way, and two are men.
1: They don't have that translation technology. No, no. no, yeah.
0: no they don't. Again, they can master time and space and interstellar travel, but they don't have any Wow. well... They're Two good very at some different things. skill sets. I, you're right. You're right. My bad. So
2: yeah, we can go to space, but we to don't cat, have that we technology. technology. We can barely so that'll go that'll to space.
0: When we have mastered interstellar travel, we'll be doing some other great shit. Trust me on that. It goes along with it. That's you know.
1: <laughs> we won't automatically know all the languages on all the planets. Oh, yeah.
0: if I know my Star Trek, <laughs> <laughs> we will be able to figure <laughs> it out. Okay, so. They sit him down gently on a table. It's like, okay, you know, just, just sit down here, sit down here. And then the woman puts a mask over his face. And before he thinks, oh, shit, what's going on? I, sh- I should fight back. He's boop, passed out, completely unconscious again.
1: Chloroformed him.
0: Apparently so. Space chloroform.
1: Yeah. yeah. Tight.
0: And that was it. That's his story. The next thing Walton knew, he came back to consciousness near that gas station in Heber, Arizona. It sounds like the aliens again didn't give him enough knockout gas or whatever because the ship is still there. He looks up and it's hovering above the highway after apparently just dropping him off and it then zooms into the sky and disappears. Or maybe they wanted to make hmm. sure he was okay. Yeah. I don't know. Make sure he came too. So he goes to the gas station. He finds the payphone. He calls his brother in law to get a ride, figuring maybe well, it's been a few hours, right? It's that night. 'Cause it's midnight, so he he was knocked unconscious, I don't know, 6 30 or something like that. No. He didn't he was told by his brother in law, hey dude, you've been gone for five days. Oh. So fairly early on, there were mm, hints, suggestions, suspicions about Travis Walton and his story. About especially about Travis Walton being this sort of innocent, unsuspecting woodsman who ain't never had nothing to do with UFOs. Mm -hmm. After failing to find Walton that very first night, Officer Copeland, he was the investigator for the sheriff's office, he and Mike Rogers, who was Travis's boss, went to the house of Walton's mother. Her name is Mary Kellett. They told her the story, the UFO, the beam, her son was missing. She calmly asked them to repeat the story. They did. And then she asked if anyone other than the police and the crew had heard the story. Throughout this whole thing, she seemed super calm. And supposedly, she would later become emotional when he was gone for five days or during that time. But initially, she was just very calm and guarded. And mm. this made Officer Copland suspicious almost immediately.
2: Like, well, mm, okay, sure. He's going to come <laughs> back, yeah. I can get But he didn't come back. She's like, fuck. <laughs> 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 Maybe they did get him.
0: They got him. Go ahead, here." here.
2: Oh,
1: I'm g- guessing she just didn't believe it, right? Maybe uh, I thought he was John I mean,
0: Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. something, we'll Yeah, see, you know? We'll see. It's actually a little deeper. Although I don't know if
1: cops came to my house and told me one of my kids was... adopted abducted by a UFO? You, no matter what the story was, yes. that, that they didn't know where they were, I would be yes. quite concerned. Yeah.
0: I mean, he was a grown-up, but still.
1: Yeah, well, was. my kids are grown-ups too.
0: Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Loose. Technically. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Loosely defined. Police grew suspicious also as really as early as that night of the disappearance, and for sure the morning after, they initially thought something might have happened in the mountains, and that this was kind of a cover up. That yeah. is, did Travis get hurt? Yeah. Was there an accident or maybe a fight or something like that? Did his friends
1: didn't... murder him? Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm. They were suspicious about the whole story, as, but their suspicion initially centered on it being some kind of a cover up that something happened to Travis, and that's, you're telling us this bullshit story to cover up what you did to him. Right. But
2: they're still looking for him. They mm-hmm. okay, still absolutely. think something happened to him.
0: Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. One, a, a, a ufologist, person who researches UFOs, I mean, again, a, a ufologist descended on Snowflake immediately. Yeah. Can
2: you get a degree in ufology?
0: I hope not.
2: I doubt it. Maybe in certain online schools. (laughs) Oh, Phoenix probably. (laughs) DeVry, you can probably get one. DeVry.
0: For-profit school, I'm sure you can. It just takes a couple hours at a test that you can have someone do for you. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, he was named Fred Silvanus. He was from Phoenix. He interviewed Silvanus, I guess. (laughs) Wow. What's wrong?
2: That's very like sounds like a fancy cheese. Spacey. Yeah, it does.
0: It I'll
1: Sounds
2: a the Parmigiano and the Savinas. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I,
1: I think it sounds like the name of a um, planet.
0: Well, maybe that's oh. why. Maybe he, he's a ufologist. Yeah. So maybe that's why R he changed his name. I have no idea. Yeah. So he interviewed both Rogers and Trav. I'm sorry, both Mike Rogers and Travis's brother, Dwayne Walton. Remember that name? he gonna mm-hmm. figure very prominently. This was on Saturday. November eighth. So it's kind of three plus days after Travis disappeared. Between complaining that the police weren't doing enough to find Travis, Mike Rogers kept bitching about the events and, and how they're gonna prevent him from completing that Forest Service brush clearing contract. And how maybe he's kind of grumbling the Forest Service could, you know, see their way to take this whole alien abduction into account into account and not penalize me and screw me under. So it's mm-hmm. like I got one of my crewmen abducted by aliens. Come on, you guys. That that yeah. lets me out of my contract, right? He was apparently concerned about this and expressed this in these interviews almost immediately. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Might just be a business selfish asshole. <laughs> business <laughs> he might, yeah. he, he, he might be dick like every fucking person right now. Wow,
0: wow. I'm here to Broad fight condemnation. I have
2: a long list of billionaires that need to die, and it got <laughs> okay. a lot longer right. during this whole thing. All right. Just letting you know.
0: Okay. They're Thank all you. Gone. Oh shit. Our billionaire <laughs> listeners out there, don't worry. I'll make sure you're this also can kill on the you. list. Okay. No, not our billionaire list. If billionaires, if you listen to this. Podcasts, you're, you're good. You're, uh, uh, you're only
2: good if you are you're on really our good. Patreon. Hey, you're not, if you're no, no longer a yeah. billionaire tomorrow because you gave all your money away. Okay. All right. Let's on see. our Patreon, to Weird Patreon. World Podcasts okay. at patreon.com.
0: I'm feeling a lot of uh, tension animosity. in the room now and animosity. <laughs> Other law enforcement actors also grew suspicious, just the way Officer Kapl- Copland did. For instance, town marshal Sanford Flake, he announced... Flat out, the whole thing's a hoax. What's a town marshal? He's the marshal of the town. <laughs> <laughs> he's a person. They've got marshals. He's the town marshal. I don't know. You know right. Matt Dillon. You, you, you act this like this is Arizona. Just a thing. Like they every town, who's
2: our town marshal? They still have a like. A His name is Gary
0: Sanders. Some places still had marshals. That's all. Don't 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 fight it. And cops. Yes, different different places. Remember, the first ones were from Heber. And now I, I, I think he was the town marshal in Snowflake. Snowflake. Oh, gotcha. So uh, he said that uh, uh, Marshal Sanford Flake said that Dwayne and Travis set up the brush crew to be kind of like unwitting witnesses and that they, re- they must have released something like a lighted balloon into the air at the, quote, appropriate time. And the rest was just play acting. He felt that Ma Kellett was hiding something. So he, felt he was very suspicious when he talked to her. Hiding something or someone.
1: someone. Ooh, dun, oh. dun, dun.
0: And he remembered that she had asked for the search to be called off and he, he yeah. wondered why that was that was true. She was feeling guilty uh, about yeah, all yeah. the Maybe so. resources they were yeah. wasting. Yeah. Mm. So he thought he thought it was just a flat out hoax and that the they had used the crew to be witnesses mm. for it and the crew didn't know anything about it. However
1: But they all say they saw the flying saucer.
0: Well, yes.
2: And him get like so. TKO'd by a fucking beam of light. Yes. Yeah. That's I true, mean, too. They would, are they that dumb that a <laughs> <Yeah>. balloon
1: could <laughs> trick them? We'll yeah, talk about that later. They okay. felt
2: that fantasy.
0: <laughs> However, on November 10th, the whole Rogers crew took polygraph test. These polygraphs were administered by, administered by a guy named Cy Gilson. He worked for the state, the Arizona Department of Public Safety. Now, this was in part to lay, in fact, mainly, this was to allay suspicions that they had done something or seen something happen to uh, Travis, right? All of the men passed with flying colors. One of them was inconclusive because he didn't finish the test, but the other men passed, all five, including Mike Rogers. Huh. The men, according to Cy Gilson, believed they saw a UFO and none had harmed the still missing Travis, at, who was still missing at that time. Sheriff Gillespie announced that quote: "There's no doubt they're telling the truth."
1: Mm. Hmm, well, that clinches it for me.
0: It should be noted, however, that Sy Gilson only asked four questions for what? the entire podcast oh test. The first three were nothing at all about did you kill Travis? Are you covering up his murder? It was only the fourth and last question, which apparently was added at the last minute, that he asked him plain up: Did you see a UFO out there? This. And their affirmative answers to that, that he he said they're being truthful, was what gave them their passing the polygraph test.
2: Yeah. Huh. Wow, that is ridiculous.
0: The Walton family's conduct was also arousing interest, let's say. So one of the first things Dwayne and Travis did after Travis returned was he met with William Spalding, a UFO researcher from Ground Saucer Watch. <laughs> earlier Spalding, had, what, it's, it's actually a, a fairly reputable organization that looks into the Neskis in oh. UFOs. He had, uh, Spalding had gotten a hold of Dwayne and said, basically, hey, if Travis comes back, I will uh, right away get him examined by a doctor at my expense and also, by the way, tell him not to pee or at least to save his pees, we'll want to test it. Yikes. Which is actually going to prove pretty important. The very morning of, they drive into Phoenix to meet Spalding before telling anyone else that Travis was even back, including law enforcement.
1: Whoa, that's not cool.
0: Yes, yeah, not cool at all. Species. However, though, when they got there, they're really upset because that the man Spalding hired to do this examination mm-hmm. wasn't actually a medical doctor, he was actually a hypnotherapist.
1: Oh. Oh.
0: And he wanted to
1: hypnotize, hypnotize him.
0: Yeah. Uh they will will go about we'll talk more about this later, but they left in acrimony and Charges were to fly between the two camps later, and they, they, their stories differed quite a bit. So, but still, it was very suspicious to law enforcement that the first thing they do is go meet with a UFO researcher. Yeah. And didn't even tell him. William Spaulding interviewed Mike, Wa- Mike Rogers and Dwayne Walton before Travis was found, right? Oh, and okay. he turned over this tape, this 65 minute tape, to the police later. And during that sixty-five minute interview with Mike Rogers and Drain Walton, they not once expressed any kind of concern for Travis or his whereabouts. They they really, really? mostly talked about UFOs. Rogers, <laughs> Mike Roberts, even noted how, quote, beautiful the UFO was that he saw that zapped Jesus. Travis Walton. Wow. So they they again, so they find this behavior suspicious as well. Yeah. By Tuesday, November eleventh, so that's the day after Travis was back, word had gotten out that he'd returned but after the botched Spalding examination another ufo researcher named coral lorenzen from the aerial phenomena research organization or apro she got to the waltons this is a much less reputable ufo in my opinion research organization than ground saucer watch the ground saucer watch i can't say that word <laughs> ground, ground saucer
1: watch, watch. Ground just say fast no no know.
0: gsw She promised to have two medical doctors examine Travis. And the brothers brothers agreed. The exam was scheduled before 3.30 that day. So this is when things begin to get complicated. Okay? According to the UFO writer Jerome Clark, before the exam occurred, Lorenzen was contacted by the, wait for it, National Enquirer.
2: Oh. Oh.
0: Do you guys know what that is?
2: I, it's a magazine. Yeah. News publication.
0: It's a horrific, worthless tabloid. tabloid. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, for our, our international listeners or even our American listeners who don't know, and hopefully there's a lot of you. The, this weekly tabloid that has long brought the U.S. stories about like bat boy hybrids and yeah. fake psychic predictions and yes, lots and lots of stories about UFOs and aliens and alien abductions. Does this
1: still exist in print?
0: I, I don't know. Probably. I, I don't see it in it's grocery stores anymore. It used to anymore. be at checkout stands. Yeah. And huge. but I mean, I mean, print money. Incredibly, sickeningly popular and profitable. Yeah. It is owned by one of Donald Trump's best friends.
1: Is that the pecker guy?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. The, Great or at least run by him. The Inquirer promised ARPO RP, <clears throat> cash. They basically bankrolled their investigation if ARPO RP, gave them access to Travis Walton. Lorenzin, Cora Lenzen said, sold, we'll do it. So that, I mean, that seems not wholly uninnocent, doesn't it? But this somewhat... Innocent version of the Inquirer stepping in and giving Arpo a little bit of money was told by um, Jerome Clark. Well, what?
1: Why would? Is it APRO or ARPRO? It's
0: Arpo. Sorry. Okay. Arpo. Alien. Yeah.
1: Why RPO. would they get the money for the story? Shouldn't it be?
0: Well, well, we'll talk a lot about that later. Okay. So, anyway, Jerome Clark Clark gives this kind of sanitized. Oh, they just gave. ARPO, Arpo, a little bit of money to help bankroll this important investigation. And then they got to interview Travis Walton in return. It's all innocent enough. Jerome Clark, though, was, you know, he's a UFO at the time. He was a UFO true believer in every way. In fact, it would later be alleged that Jerome Clark actually ghostwrote the book that Travis Walton published in 1978 about his story, his episode. He called it. Very cleverly, the Walton experience. (laughs) The reality of that whole National Enquirer stuff was a lot messier Mm -hmm. than that and vastly, probably vastly less innocent. Okay, that was the Travis Walton story part one. Please join us next week for part two. Meanwhile, go ahead and find us at the usual places that Carrie would usually tell you about because I always forget them. But, uh, you know, she'll tell you about that next week. See you then.